Lord, we do need your mercy. We do need your grace. And Lord, nothing happens outside of your divine touch. We desire your Holy Spirit to work among us, to change us, to shape us as we sang, that we may become more like your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So our church is closing uh, this week and next week. We've been talking about uh, fruitfulness. And what we mean by fruitfulness, again, is just the desire to uh, have our lives produce things that are going to outlive us. Uh, We have a promise in the Bible that if we do things and we live in such a way that our life produces things in the name of Christ or in the service of Christ, that those things will not only outlast us, but will in fact be used by God all the way until the day that Jesus returns. Now, when I think of a fruitful life, my mind this week went to a man by the name of Ralph. Ralph was not only a World War II veteran, a Navy veteran, but he's the only survivor of the Pearl Harbor bombings that I ever met. He was rescued, really, by the fact of uh, some quick thinking of being able to escape out of a porthole after his ship, which was in harbor, was hit. Not long after he escaped from the ship, he went to a Sunday service, very much like this one. He heard the gospel and he gave his life. He became a Christian, gave his life to the service of Christ. And after he finished his earthly service to his earthly kingdom, he went home and decided to dedicate his life to serving his new king and to making all the investments he can into the eternal kingdom. Ralph went home and he started a very successful chain of grocery stores. And became a multi-millionaire, uh, multi-millionaire. But he gave, or he, he did use most of that money for the service or for the things of Jesus' kingdom. Ralph was faithful all of his life to serving Christ in everything he did. Unfortunately, that meant at times that he, one time in his life, had to confront a wayward pastor resulting in a church split, but Ralph continued, even after such discouragement, continued to serve Jesus. And in his final years, as he was kind of becoming more and more frail, one more time the church looked to his wisdom. And he was able to help the church transition into merging with a sister church in the community. And when Ralph died, he left behind a church that was growing and making significant impact in the place he was. A fruitful life requires the Christian, and it requires the church to be on mission. Now, last week we talked about knowing the gospel well enough so that we can insert it into our everyday lives. We can work it into the conversations we're already having. The people in our community need to hear the gospel. We understand they need to hear the gospel so they can be saved from the day of God's judgment. But the Bible also calls us to look outside of our community. And I would like to argue this morning that to have a fruitful life, to be a fruitful church, 
There is a requirement to be missions-minded. I'll give you three points this morning. My argument that a fruitful life and a fruitful church requires missions-mindedness. Number one, number one, the Christian mission, the Christian mission is the widespread of the gospel. The Christian mission is the widespread of the gospel. Verses 14 to 22 here in Romans 15. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, let me remind you. So this man, of the, Paul was a, a highly uh, respected, he was a highly educated religious teacher uh, within Judaism. He was also a prominent Roman citizen. And when he became a follower of Jesus Christ, he lost both of his nations. He was no longer welcome in many places in Israel because he would preach that Jesus Christ was the only way to God. But he also became, uh, became often uh, followed and harassed by other Romans because they looked at him and thought that his message was nothing more than a call to rebellion against Caesar. And so he went places and was called unpatriotic. Because he claimed that Jesus was the only king who had the only true eternal kingdom. Now here in this text, he tells us about this mission that he has in his life. This mission that was greater than his loyalty to his Jewish brethren. And a mission that was greater than his privilege as a Roman citizen. He had been called by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, again, let me make sure I remind you that Paul never put down the Jews. In fact, many times he would talk about his love for the Jewish people. And Paul was not embarrassed or put down or ashamed of being a Roman citizen. Again, he had a greater purpose. And this purpose, as he says, that he was given grace to be called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. The idea there is he was called to reach the pagan. The person who had never heard of God or never heard of the God of the Bible. He was called to the irreligious, the Greeks. You see that when he's in Athens and and talking with people we would probably call professors or those who are highly educated. But he was clear about his purpose. He was happy in his work. But he was also very serious. Paul wanted people who had never heard the gospel to hear the gospel. And for Paul, that meant that he never went anywhere where somebody had already gone. He didn't go back to places where maybe the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Andrew had already been and tried to preach the gospel again. No, he was always looking for wherever the front line was. And this is why he says here in the letter why it was taking him so long to make his way to Rome. Rome was the Gentile city, and he wanted to get there and preach the gospel. Of course, the letter tells us the gospel has already made it to Rome. But he said, this is why it's taken me so long. Everywhere I go, I'm trying to find the, the front line. I'm trying to find those who haven't heard. And, and he says, now I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and now it's time for me to get to Rome. Now, in some way, every single person in this room is called to follow this same path. Uh, I can think of a man I know by the name of Paul Chambers. Paul was an army veteran uh, for the Vietnam War. 
Unfortunately, Paul, while he was over there, came in contact with Agent Orange. And from being a young man until I believe today he's probably in his 70s, he's had to walk with a cane. Mr. Chambers became a Christian. He served a new king, had an eternal kingdom. But he never abandoned the desire to reach his fellow soldiers. And so Paul stayed very much active. Not far from where he lived was a, a heli- an army helicopter base, and he was a mechanic. And so he would go up there often and talk to the guys who were there working on the uh, helicopters, trying to reach them uh, with the gospel. Paul was so connected up there. I had the, the very uh, immense privilege to uh, speak to a group of soldiers just before they were shipped out to go to war. I was the opening act for a four-star general who arrived in a helicopter, got off the helicopter, made his speech, got back on and left. It was an immense privilege for me. But I also got to be a part of his more nitty-gritty work. I visited with Paul. uh, We went together and visited another soldier by the name of Mike. Mike had some severe mental health issues due to his service in Vietnam. See, Mike had gotten separated from his unit and had spent days going through the jungle being hunted by the Viet Cong. And when he arrived and found a group of American soldiers, the one in command arrested him, claimed he had abandoned his unit. And for years after Mike got home, he had to go through all the red tape trying to clear his name so that he could get an honorable discharge. And it had taken a toll on Mike. But Paul Chambers was faithful. Every time we went, he found some way to turn Mike's conversations to the gospel. The clear mission work of the Christian life is the spread of the gospel. Sharing the news that everybody's biggest problem is their sin and that God had already provided a solution to that big problem in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, years ago, they took a survey of teenagers all across America. This was about five or six years ago. They asked him, okay, what are the three things you're worried about when it comes to the future? The very lowest thing, in the 10 or 12 things they asked him about, the the one that ranked the lowest was being famous. They weren't worried about being famous. The top two. Number one was the desire to graduate from high school or college with a clear mission in life. And number two, to graduate high school and go into college and get a career where they could make a difference. Well, here it is. Here's what God says about both. The the clear mission is the spread of the gospel, which will make the biggest eternal difference in the world. And so number one, the first argument I would make to you is that the Christian mission is in of itself the widespread of the gospel. But number two... Every Christian is commanded to either go or send. Verses 23 to 29, Romans, the book of Romans in its most basic form is a missions letter. The Apostle Paul, the very beginning of the book, talks about all that he's been up to, much like a missionary today would share with us. And there's no doubt that the Bible teaches that missions comes out of the local church. 
And the Apostle Paul would often uh, write to the local church. In fact, much of our New Testament is his letters as a missionary to the churches he either planted or were supporting him. Now, we want to note in the text, again, that the Apostle Paul has said he has gone everywhere he wanted to go. This is he's gone everywhere he's been able to go to preach the gospel to people there have heard the gospel. And now he wants to go to the front lines of Europe. You see that in the text. The apostle intends here to go to Rome, but not stay. The gospel's already there. His point is to come to Rome, enjoy fellowship with the Christians there, with the expectation that this church in Rome, or these churches in Rome, would financially and prayerfully support his trip to Spain. In several places in our New Testament, we watch as the Apostle Paul is held financially along by the local churches. Now, we've seen him. He does, at times, go places where he has to uh, work and make a living and, and support himself. But by the end of the book of Acts, in most of our New Testament, we can clearly see that the local church is primarily responsible for all the prayer and all the finances of missions work. If you want to know the most basic activities, okay, people like to, like to talk about this a lot for some reason. People are like, how can we be more like the, the early church? Well, let me tell you how you can be more like the early church. I'll give you a list of things that the early church did. Well, first of all, they had preaching services. We got that covered this morning, right? All right, they also got together for meals. We're Baptists, we're pretty good at that one too. They made sure that they evangelized their community. I sat this week and counted all the different ways we try to reach our community for the gospel. And I think we're doing rather well. And they would gather together and help each other in times of difficulty. We watched them make music for and to God. But the one that doesn't ever seem to get mentioned when you talk about the early church is that the early church was constantly planting new churches. They were even taking people out of their own membership and sending them to other communities for the purpose of planting churches. Missions work was clearly in line with what at the very beginning the Christian church was doing. Paul had the calling to go. We have a command at the end of Matthew for to go and make disciples. The Bible also seems to understand that there are going to be those in life who are going to be called to cross geographical boundaries, language boundaries, those who are going to cross political boundaries in order to share the gospel. Of course, the apostle clearly had that calling as he was constantly changing scenery. But we also see in this text that there was an expectation the apostle had that the local church was going to support the mission. And so what we can say here is this, that as a Christian this morning, if you are a Christian this morning, you have three options. You either go, send, or disobey. Of course, we know that Veterans Day is very different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day is for those who died in service to our country. Well, Veterans Day is a a day to honor those who served us as a nation, who are likely, and I know are sitting with us here this morning. Remember several years ago, I had a conversation with Carol's grandfather. He served in Korea. I asked him about his time over there, and he said, you know, 
He said, honestly, there isn't anything to say. He said, I think, if I can remember correctly, the whole time I was there, I ever heard one shot fired. So it's not really anything of importance. It was mostly uneventful, as he said. Carol's dad essentially described his service as a Marine when he went to Kuwait for the second Gulf War. He said the same thing. He really didn't do much. Now, do we diminish their service because they didn't see action? No. Why? Because we understand the risk that they took. Much of tomorrow's holiday is to honor the action of embracing the risk. And in that, we can see as Christians a very clear example that we too are supposed to be either going or sending. But in either way, we're supposed to be embracing the risk. God has a heart for the nations. He has a desire and a mission to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those nations. So whether it's financially, emotionally, time, we go or we send. Because we serve King Jesus and this is what he has commanded us to do. And then number three this morning, my argument that a fruitful life in church Includes being missions-minded. Number three, Christians Christians should expect both battles and songs. You should expect both to encounter the battle and songs. Verse 30 to 33, in these last few lines, you see the Apostle Paul, he's asking for prayer. Before he gets to Rome and obviously on his way to Spain, he has to go first to Jerusalem, he says here. Now, if you read your book of Acts, you know there's been a great famine And so the Gentile churches around Jerusalem have begun to take up an offering so that he can bring this money to the Jewish churches in Jerusalem to kind of help alleviate all the problems the famine has caused. But you also note in the text that Paul expects there's going to be some kind of battle. Now, we we have recorded for us what exactly does happen when he arrives in Jerusalem. We find out that there's been all sorts of rumors about what he's been doing and what he's been saying and what he's been preaching. And we see Paul agree to take whatever steps he needed to 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 deny those rumors. But in trying to deny the rumors, he in fact starts a riot. The Roman garrison is called, dispatched into the city, and they have to get between Paul and the mob that was trying to tear him to pieces. The Roman garrison at first thought that Paul had done something wrong. They were ready to arrest him. They were waiting to hear what the accusation was. But then they realized that they were there to protect Paul from them. And from there, all sorts of conspiracies begin. And Paul's life is saved by a nephew who overhears a plot to try and kill him. But then we begin to see the unfolding of the plan of the God of peace. You see, the battle of Jerusalem ended up putting Paul in a place to share the gospel with some of the higher-ups in Roman government. People we would describe as maybe the the, the big city mayor, the governor, the ranking members of the police force. But then he faced another battle in the fact he wasn't getting a fair trial. And so he made the appeal that he had as a Roman citizen to talk or make an appeal to Caesar himself. And so, he begins the journey. 
And while he waited to get to Caesar, all along the way, he had more and more opportunities to share the gospel. Now, we don't have any record, but church history or church tradition says that Paul made it to Rome. We see that in Acts, but not only did he make it to Rome, but eventually he's let go. We don't know why, but he is let go. We have a lot of evidence to say that he was let go. But church history says that he did, in fact, make it to Spain for a short time, but came back to Rome was arrested again, and we see that in First and Second Timothy. He knows he's going to die and eventually is executed. At some point, Paul closed his eyes to the battle and woke up hearing the great songs of heaven. Now, most of you know the reason we celebrate Veterans Day on the 11th of November. It marks the end of World War I. It was first known as Armistice Day. See, nobody ever, when the, when the war was over, nobody ever pictured anybody would be mad enough to start that kind of war again. Even the first year after the war, to 100 years tomorrow, no scholar agrees as to why that war ever started. You really have three men who are all cousins trying to one-up each other at the cost of millions of lives. Today, in the marvel of technology, you can go on YouTube and you can listen to the very last minute of the war and the very first minute of peace. At 11, this recording starts at 10.59, goes through 11 o'clock to 11.01, I believe. At 10.59, the recording starts, and you can hear the gunfire. You can hear the large artillery being shot. And it, I mean, it's clear that this is an intense battle. It's a, the recording is from a battle between the American forces and the Germans right on the edge of German territory. But then 11 o'clock comes around, and you hear just a few shots. And then one little shot off into the distance. Then there's this little pause. You don't hear anything. And then you hear birds begin to sing. And you can feel the peace of the moment. I have read and I have heard so many stories from men who went to battle and struggled to come home and figure out how to stop fighting. And I have seen them come to know the God of peace through Jesus Christ and and seen them gain a new song. I know a missionary who went to Suriname. He talks about arriving to the village. And the first night he slept in a hut, he heard the men of the village singing a song. And as he got to know the language, he understood what the song was. The song was a group of men who would get together every night and sing to whatever God of the universe there was, saying, send somebody to tell us about you. And after many spiritual battles, including shamans and witch doctors, he was, after 30 years, this missionary shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said by the time he left the mission field, by the time he retired, those men would gather to sing a different song, thanking the God of the universe for sending his son. The Bible tells Christians to do the work. It acknowledges that temptations are going to come, the temptation to murmur, complain, to quit. The temptations to come and and not do the work, but instead manipulate, compromise, abandon. 
we're told there's joy in the work itself. The Bible tells us there are going to be battles, but there are also songs. The Christian can learn a lot from Veterans Day. We look at the spread of freedom and be reminded of our mission to spread wide the gospel. We can see examples of embracing the risk, and we are reminded that the only choice we have is either to go or to send or to disobey. That we must embrace the risk of serving the greater King Jesus and going to work for his eternal kingdom. And we can be reminded tomorrow of both battles and songs. It will never be an easy thing to do the work of spreading the gospel, but there is joy there. And we know that every soul that comes to know Jesus or comes to know God through Jesus, who is saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is a soul who will one day, according to the book of Revelation, hear a new song and sing that new song with every brother and sister they have from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. If we're going to be a fruitful people, if we're going to be a fruitful church, it's going to require us to be missions-minded. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the reminder, Lord, that every Christian in every church has a responsibility to this calling. And I pray, Father, in the times that we struggle to uh, be excited about that or struggle, Father, to be invested in that, that you would just remind us and revigorate us to these things. We thank you again for all those men who have given us an example of the cost and the risk and the mission. And Lord, while they spread freedom, Lord, we are called to spread the gospel to the building of the eternal kingdom and for the service of King Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.